The following audio is from Crossroads Church, a church in Lincoln, Nebraska, centered around building genuine community through authentic faith. More info can be found at lincolncrossroads.com. Amen. All right, that was a lot of announcements. Are y'all just kind of like, that was a lot. Let's just take a minute to just like breathe, okay? Because, you know, let, I do believe that God has something specific that he wants to say to us from his word today, and spe- something specific for me, something specific for you, and so let's just, like, take a deep breath, like, we ain't got nowhere else to be right now. We don't have anything else to do. Your bracket's already busted. How many of you got a busted bracket? I got a busted bracket already. I have to say, I actually feel like I need to, um, I need to offer a formal apology to the University of Kansas because I have to tell you this. I, you know, I grew up a Kansas basketball fan. My mom went to KU, so we kind of watched them a lot growing up. And so as far back as I can remember into my teen years, I picked, uh, you know, when I put my bracket together, I have picked Kansas to win every year since my teen years except two, and that was in 2008 and 2022. Do you know what happened in 2008 and 2022? Kansas won. So I did pick them this year. I thought, this is the year I'm going to get it right. So anyway, not that it's all about me, but sorry, Kansas. My bad. So I don't know what it is about March that makes us all of a sudden feel like we're experts in the world of college basketball. Maybe you watch college basketball all year. I personally did not watch one college basketball game, minutes here and there, but not one. As a matter of fact, last week I was like, oh yeah, hey, we really should make sure we get out there and, and go, go to one of the Husker basketball games. Like the season's over. Like I had lots of opportunities and I didn't take any of them. So I don't know what it is about me, but I always realize in March that I don't, what I think I know about basketball is not always true about basketball. And I get reminded of that. I was reminded of it yesterday specifically. So um, we're going to look at the scripture today. You know, we've been looking through the book of Acts verse by verse, and we have made it through to chapter nine. If you were here last week, you heard Sean speak on uh, Saul's conversion. So this is kind of like the second part of that story that we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them up to Acts chapter nine. But Saul had a similar experience where he learned that what he thought he knew was not actually the truth. And we're going to look at that experience where he came into contact. He had an encounter with Jesus, and it changed his life forever. So um, Acts or chapter 9, the beginning of it, Sean preached last week, where he, if you remember Saul, pause. Remember the name Saul. Later in the Bible, we see he's also called Paul. So remember last week we talked about it's a dual name. So we're a lot more familiar with Paul. So I may say the name Paul as I'm speaking, even though it says Saul in this story, it was both. Like I'm Elizabeth, but I'm Beth. Do you know what I'm saying? So Saul, Paul, same guy with me? Okay. So, uh, so Saul, if you remember the beginning of the chapter of chapter nine, Saul is on his way to Damascus. Now Saul was a Pharisee, meaning he had been trained in all of the law. He knew all there was to know about the law and how to fulfill it. He even had practiced it. Like he was, he followed every single law and he expected everybody around him to do it. And so he knew all the right things to do. 
He was, but he also would have known that the Jewish people were waiting for a Messiah, that this law was here. The law was the only way, following the law was the only way to have any kind of right standing with God until the Messiah came. But Saul did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. So at this point in history, he is plotting to have anyone who is following Jesus to just like have them imprisoned. So the beginning of chapter nine, he goes to the authorities and he says, I want to go to Damascus and find more people that are following Jesus. Do I have your permission to throw them in prison? He gets their permission and then he heads to Damascus. So on the way, it says that he was breathing out murderous threats when Jesus appeared. It says a light appeared and he immediately said, who are you, Lord? Meaning he knew this is something not natural. He said, who are you, Lord? Jesus said, it's me, Jesus, the one you've been persecuting, and I want you to go tell people about this experience, okay? So that is the backstory where we pick up in verse 19. So in that moment, he's blinded, and um, somebody comes and grabs him and takes him into their home. And so uh, we pick up in verse 19, but what I want us to look at in this story is we're going to look at three truths about Paul's story with the hope then that we can also look at three um, takeaways. So three truths about his story, but what can I take away? How can I learn from him? Because Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, right? When the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be my witnesses. So, and when he spoke to Paul, he said, this is me, Jesus, go tell people about me. So if he called Paul to be a witness and he called us to be a witness, then what can we take away from Paul's story that would help us fulfill that call of God in our lives? Okay. So that's what we're looking at. So let's go. Uh, I'm going to read it fast because it's big. Uh, Acts chapter nine, verse 19. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished, 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 and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple." But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the Lord, or then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and increased in numbers. So truth number one that we're going to look at from Paul's life is this. It's that Paul had a past. So remember, Paul knew the law. 
Paul had spent lots of time, he studied under um, prestigious uh, teachers, uh, rabbis. He knew the law. He knew what the Jews uh, were looking for, which was a Messiah. He knew his responsibility was to keep this law um, day and night to make sure that he was abiding by the law. But once he experienced Jesus, he immediately started witnessing. So when what he knew collided with the person of Jesus, he immediately sought out to continue to prove, okay, actually this is real. And the Bible says he grew more powerful which is the Holy Spirit, right? You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. Uh, He didn't necessarily speak more eloquently overnight or deepen his education, but his words became more powerful because he had encountered Jesus. And so where his study of the scripture had once been used as a weapon uh, against the people who were believing in Jesus, he's now, uh, they've now become a tool that he can use to prove that Jesus is the Messiah. And this just like happened overnight because uh, it, it says all those who heard him were astonished and they said, wait, isn't this the guy who raised havoc in Jerusalem? Yet Saul grew more and more pow- powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus. And so uh, Paul had a past, but the takeaway that we can take from this as we see him witnessing is this, is that your past does not discredit you from being a witness. It prepares you for it. So his past position as a Pharisee in the synagogue, it gave him a platform. People knew who he was. So when he spoke in the synagogue, it was to people who believed, you know, what he believed. And so he had his his past experience as a Pharisee and his knowledge of the scripture had prepared him for this moment. It was just the opposite of what he thought it was going to be, right? So when I think about my past, how do I take this away? You're you're probably thinking, well, yeah, Paul's past was studying the scripture. Of course, that would prepare him to be a witness. But my past is filled maybe with shame. My past is filled with regret, decisions that I've made. How can my past possibly prepare me to be a witness? But I want to remind you that Paul, Saul, Saul hated Christians. Like in this chapter, like 18 verses ago, he was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. In the different version, New Living Translation says, he was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Rewind a couple books to Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus said, You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders is subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which means fool, is answerable in court. Anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 says, anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So Saul, by Jesus' definition, was a murderer on his way to Damascus, searching out his next victims. So it says, while he was still breathing out murderous threats, God says, this man, in verse 15, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. 
So Paul's past knowledge of the scriptures may have helped in his transition in order to be able to be a witness to show the Jews that this was the, this was the Messiah they've been waiting for. His past didn't, his other part of his past, his murderous past didn't discredit him. It was while he was breathing out those threats that God was like, he's the one. He's the one that's going to tell the people that don't know me about me. And so his past didn't discredit him from service and neither does yours, regardless of what it is. But the reason that I believe God could use Saul, this is the days after this moment he meets with Jesus, days after it says he was in the synagogue preaching, okay? So the reason God could use it is I believe that what happened in those three days is that Paul, Saul had to surrender those two things to God. His, his past as a Pharisee, his past uh, just uh, filled with self-righteousness, and his past filled with hate, murderous hate that he had for these people. I believe in those days between when he encountered Jesus and when he was telling everybody about it, he had to surrender those two things to God. And he just had to say, God, the things that I thought that I knew, God, they're yours. These years that I've spent studying under these rabbis, um, the years that I have meticulously followed the rules, Jesus has now been made so real to me that I can't deny him. And I just have to surrender all that to you. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'm just going to surrender all that to you. All my hatred, all my murderous intent, all the people that have suffered because of me, God, I repent of that. So in, that, in those days, I believe that the reason that God was able to use Saul so significantly and so quickly is because he surrendered those to God. My self-righteousness, my shame. And in the same way that God said, this man is my chosen instrument, you know what Romans 5, 8 says about you? It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So he chose you before you were ready to even come close to choosing him. He chose you. He saw you as worthy of paying the price of his life for you. So what's holding you back? Is it self-righteousness? Friends, I've grown up in the church and so I know the temptation as, as someone who, you know, I've walked with Jesus, thank you, Lord, I've, I've walked with Jesus my whole life, I know the temptation uh, to sit back and go, I know what to do. I've done this. But is our self-righteousness keeping us in a seat where we're sitting back when Jesus has said, you will be my witnesses. I want you to be a part of what I'm doing on this earth. But sometimes out of self-righteousness, we're like, yeah, I'm good. I've done it. I've followed the rules. Sometimes we get in a position where we think we have it all figured out. But the danger is that our religious following of Jesus can sometimes prevent us from knowing Jesus. And I don't want that to be, I don't want that to be my story, and I don't want that to be the story of Crossroads Church, that we did the right things. We showed up on Sundays, and we signed up for serve teams. But when it came time to be his witnesses, which means tell somebody about Jesus, the saving power of Jesus, 
that I just kind of sat back and let everybody else do it. I don't want my self-righteousness to hold me back. Is it your shame that's holding you back? Friend, your past does not discredit you from being a witness. Your past has prepared you. And so Jesus is calling you, and maybe you're still in that, that mode. Maybe you're like, I, it's not that I, I used to have a past, but like right now, I am living in darkness. Friend, Jesus is calling you. Not just because he needs workers, he needs minions to go out and do his work, but Jesus is calling you because he wants you to know him and make him known, but he wants you to know him. So if it's your shame that's holding you back, friend, remember, God doesn't disqualify you. So let's not do it to ourselves, right? Let's not sit behind our self-righteousness. Let's not sit behind our shame, uh, saying, thinking, arguing that they disqualify us. If Jesus isn't going to use it against us, then we can't do it to ourselves. God wants to redeem the things in your past so that he can bring other people to Jesus. Number two, the second truth about Paul is that Paul faced opposition. Just in these three verses, in verse 23, it says, after many days, there was a conspiracy uh, to kill Paul. Verse 26 says, when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. In verse 29, it says, he talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. So in, th- in six verses, yeah, three times in six verses, uh, Paul faces opposition. And we see that all throughout the rest of the New Testament, right? Paul's name is typically, you know, put right next to um, doors being closed, uh, shipwreck, beatings, imprisonment. So his story, he, he lived probably a pretty cush life as a Pharisee, but when he met Jesus, all of a sudden, uh, his life was riddled with opposition, And our takeaway from this is, for you and me, is that opposition doesn't mean you're not in God's will. It means you're right in the middle of it. Now, this is not a blanket statement about finding God's will in your life, okay? I'm talking right now about witnessing. When you are witnessing and you face opposition, that is proof that you're right in God's will, okay? This is not a blanket statement about finding God's will. Here's an example. Okay, um, so Sunday afternoon, Sean's gone. Um, I could easily find myself this afternoon sitting, maybe I'll watch basketball, maybe not because my team already lost, uh, but I might watch some basketball or I might just sit in my bed and watch Downton Abbey reruns and eat pie. I just might. And you know what? You're welcome to do that too. Um, But when I'm sitting in my bed eating pie and watching Downton Abbey, you know, I could see myself, you know, that is so enjoyable. Like that sounds like a great afternoon to me. And, but if I went and did that and I was like, man, this feels good. I feel like, I feel like this is my calling. (laughs) Eating pie watching Downton Abbey, like this is my calling. And so if I went home, I did that today and I was like, this is it. 
I'm doing it. I, this is my, God's will for my life. And um, this is, but I do need to make money. So I think what I'll do is I'm going to go meet with all my friends. I'm going to get them together and I'm going to invite them to support me in this. And so, you know, for $49 a month, you can support me in my calling to eat pie and watch Downton Abbey. Okay. And, you know, I've got some good friends in this room, but I believe that most of you, if I sat down with you, even though you're my good friends and you've supported me in lots of endeavors, uh, I'm trusting that if I did that, that you would say, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, like, no. Like, I'm not going to be a part of that. But if I took that statement that I just made and applied it here, then what I would be saying was, oh, but this is God's will for my life. I faced opposition. I must be in the center of God's will. And the, the danger is that we often, we don't think maybe that dramatically, but when we, when we are moving forward, whether it's a career or in a job and a door closes, you know, um, sometimes if it's something we really want and something that's comfortable like pie and TV, then we're like, oh, I just got to push through. I just got to push through. But then when we speak up one day to a coworker, just like a little bit about Jesus, and we face the littlest bit of resistance, we're like, well, God, that door's closed. I better just back up. And so when I say that, I need you to hear me when I say, I'm not talking about God's plan for your life. I'm not talking about God's, uh, your, the next career path that you should take. Because as much as I love pie, some doors are not meant to be opened. But Jesus has opened the door wide for witnessing. Like the whole world is yours. Like you'll be part of what I'm doing in all the places, in all the world. So the door is open, but he does promise opposition. So maybe when we're looking at God's will for our lives, when we're asking God to open doors, maybe a better prayer to pray would be, God, where can you position me best to have an influence for your kingdom? What career path should I take that will put me in the right places at the right time to tell people about Jesus and what he's done in my life? Not the easiest path, but God, open the doors uh, for me to be positioned to witness. He's already opened the witnessing doors. Uh, he, but he did predict opposition. He said in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Matthew, 10, Matthew 5, verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. I looked up for a second and I lost my place. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets they were before you. So not only is opposition going to happen, but Jesus said we're blessed when it does. And here's the best promise of all, Matthew 28, 19. It says, therefore, go and make disciples. Again, there's another open door. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the end of the age. So the door is open. The command has been given. 
promise of opposition is there, yes, but also the promise is that he is with us because he knows it's scary because he knows the enemy's going to fight against you. And so when he opens that door and he asks us to go, it's not without him. It's with a promise that he's going. The Lord said this to Ananias. So when, when Saul met with Jesus and he was blind, now he's like in the middle of the road, just like blind. <laughs> so God sends Ananias to, like, hey, you need to go help this guy out. And he's like, wait a second. I think he was on his way to kill us. And God's like, you know, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim him to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So the opposition wasn't a surprise. And it wasn't a sign that he wasn't in God's will. God said, I'm choosing this guy, but he needs to know it's going to hurt. Like it's going to cost him something. And so when Saul faced the opposition, he didn't question his calling. He just changed his venue. We see this all throughout the New Testament. People rejected people, him. People plotted to kill him. He didn't stop and go you know, question what God had called him to do. He just found a different place to do it. And so if Jesus was in the room right now and he just said, hey, you are the one I am calling. I just need you to know it's going to cost you something. Like, are we still all in? Like knowing the opposition is going to come, even in the center of his will. Are we still all in? Listen, okay, it's not all bad though. Like, it's not all bad. Like, I realize that sounded like every day of your life is going to be filled with misery and doom, and that's not a very good, like, recruitment strategy. Because this, he promises this. It says in verse 31, chapter Acts 9, 31, then the church throughout, Ju this is after all of that opposition, then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Friend, there is peace and blessing and Jesus is with us when we step out and we fulfill that command that he gave us to be a witness. There's peace, there's blessing, there's growth, and we have peace in the midst of the opposition, and that's his promise, and that's the good news. So he promises opposition, but you know, um, you know who doesn't face opposition? People on the sidelines. You know, we, we talked a little bit about March Madness and dream with me for just a minute um, that I'm, uh, I'm in the tournament right now. And so in your dreams, you could just picture me like six or seven inches taller and 20 years younger and in really good shape. And, uh, but so let's say I'm in this tournament and my team, we're the, we're the Cinderella story, okay? We're the 16 seed playing the number one seed and it's the end of the game and we are up by three with three seconds left of the game. And all we have to do is not let them score. Like that's all we have to do. We don't have to score any more points. We just can't let them score, okay? And so we're in the huddle and the coach says, okay guys, okay, Beth, you know, me. 
okay? Uh, Beth, don't let them score, okay? All you gotta do is stop them from scoring. Everybody else, all the other four players, there are other people playing. The other four players, all you have to do is stop them from scoring. Okay, yeah, yeah, all we gotta do, all we gotta do, okay? And so um, here's, you know, the end of the, the, the ball's coming in at this side, they gotta go down there and score. And so everybody lines up in their own place. And I thought, well, I mean, I could go pick one person to guard, or I could come and stand over here um, by the bench. And again, I'm six inches taller, so my wingspan's bigger, and I can guard like six guys sitting right here, girls. I can, I can guard six of them right here. What would my coach be saying? Like, Beth, what are you doing, you poser? You obviously don't know what you're doing. Um, hey, coach, coach, don't worry. None of these guys are going to get it. None of these guys are going to score. And what's he going to say to me? He's going to say, Beth, those guys aren't even in the game. They are zero threat to us right now. You don't need to stop them. They're not doing anything. So I had a hard time as I was reading this scripture this morning, just like, like when was the last time I faced opposition for telling somebody about Jesus? Because people on the sidelines don't face opposition. Friends, Jesus has called us to be a witness. And if it's been a while for you, and I can say it's been a while for me. We got to get in the game. We got to tell some people about Jesus. If Jesus has made a difference in my life, I got to tell some people about Jesus. If we're facing zero opposition, it's because we are zero threat to the enemy. Jesus said, you will be my witness. We got to get in the game. I remember... Um, uh, I remember as we were getting ready to build this building, and, and Pam, you can come on up whenever you're ready. Uh, I remember as we were getting ready to build this building, and um, all the, the elders and, and the pastors, you know, they were, they were meeting with builders and architects and getting all kinds of uh, bids for the building. And they, uh, they met with Brian Hall, and he had just finished building another church in town. And they sat down with him and they talked about, you know, getting a bid and, and moving forward with building this building. And I remember that as he was in the conversation with them, Brian said, you know, I have to be careful when I look at jobs like this because when I build churches, my family comes under attack. And so it's not direct, like he's not directly like preaching and being a witness, but he recognized that the building, a building where Jesus's name is going to be proclaimed and where people are going to come and encounter Jesus, uh, when he does that, his family comes under attack. And, you know, he could have given us a really high bid and just not taken the job. But he said, when I build churches, my family comes under attack. So I'm just need to get, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to get a prayer team. Not like I'm not going to take it because I believe in what God wants to do in North Lincoln. And so Brian, he built our building and, uh, you know, we're so thankful to him for what he did. But that reminded me, I was reminded of him as I looked at this uh, passage, because the final truth that we look at in Paul's life is that Paul needed help. 
His past didn't discredit him, but it was an obstacle that he had to overcome, specifically in the, with the, the uh, Christians, who, the, you know, the Jewish Christians that were following Jesus now. He had to overcome his past because he had been persecuting them and like throwing them in prison. So he had a reputation. And specifically in those days, after a few days after his conversion, um, he goes and starts speaking in the synagogue and his, his identity is questioned. Uh, they're scared. So the, the validity of his testimony is questioned. And when his past is thrown in his face and his safety was threatened, one man stood up for him. His name was Barnabas. And it says he took Paul with him. He didn't go and like, hey guys, let me just, you know. He grabbed Paul, he took him with him, and he spoke into his identity. In Acts chapter 9, verse 26, it says, when he came to Jerusalem, he, Paul, Saul, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. But when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So not only did, I mean, Barnabas was smart. He brought Paul along with him because this wasn't just a message that he needed to speak to um, Paul's, you know, his adversaries. Paul needed to hear this. Paul needed to hear those words of affirmation that, Paul, you, I know you're not who you once were. I know that I saw you speak with power. Keep going, keep doing what you're doing. And so not only did he speak words of affirmation to Paul, but it opened communication for what God was wanting to speak from Paul to the people he was speaking. And so it cleared some of the boulders on the pathway to salvation for some of these people. And it was Barnabas that did that. And we see Barnabas all throughout the New Testament has a ministry like this, where he shows up and encourages the ones that are doing the church planting, the ones that are preaching, the ones that are pastoring people. He shows up and encourages them. So in this season, was Barnabas still called to be a witness? Yes. But in this moment and in many moments in Paul's life and in the life of the early church, he was called to be like the lookout guy and the bouncer and the defender and the encourager. And so the takeaway I have for us today is this, everyone needs an encourager. And if you don't have one, be one. Do you have somebody in your life like Barnabas? I actually love that name. I wish I had an actual Barnabas in my life. But do you have somebody like that in your life who's encouraging you in this area of witnessing? Like, is there somebody in your life who is encouraging and challenging you that you have a story to tell? People need to hear your story. People need to know about the power of Jesus. That neighbor that you're struggling with, yeah, you can complain about him or you could tell him about Jesus. Like, do you have somebody in your life that's encouraging you? And if not, be that for somebody else. 
right? What do we say to our kids like as they're growing up? Like the, the best way to make friends is to show yourself friendly. I believe the best way to be encouraged in this area is to be that encouragement for somebody else. So who in your life can you run interference for right now? Is there someone in your family or someone in our church family here that you could support who's doing the work, who has a platform and who has um, a people that they are reaching out to, whether it's relationally one-on-one or to large crowds on a regular basis? Is there someone in your life that you can speak encouragement to and you can help open doors? Side note, super practical. One way that we can do this is to send a bunch of pastors to a retreat in Guatemala. It's not trying to twist anybody's arm, but that's what our ministry is. They're doing the real work in Guatemala and these churches that I would cry many, many tears if God called me to some of these places. Who in your life can you encourage? The goal is reaching people. It's not about who reaches them, right? Paul says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, there's some uh, people are, you know, arguing back and forth. This is who I follow, I follow this guy, I follow this guy. And Paul just says, after all, who even is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose and both will be rewarded for their hard work. Friends, we are in this together and we're all called to witness, all of us. So none of us can sit back and say, well, I'm, I'm just gonna be a Barnabas, okay? I'm just gonna be the encourager. We're all called to witness, but I believe we're all called to do this too because it doesn't matter who reaches them. It doesn't matter as long as the name of Jesus is proclaimed and as long as people are having an opportunity to, re, to encounter Jesus and receive salvation. That's what it's all about. It doesn't matter who does it. It doesn't matter who plants the seed. It doesn't matter who waters it. But we need to do this together. So if you don't have that encouragement in your life, you need to be that for somebody else. So I think the most practical application that, that I see in this whole series is we just got to tell people about Jesus. Like we need to tell people about Jesus. So I don't know who that is in your life, but I want you to remember that your past does not discredit you. It doesn't even matter what past you have with that person and in that relationship. We surrender our past to God and he can use it moving forward. You know, Easter's a great day to uh, invite people to church. They say, whoever they is, they say that people are more open to coming on Easter and it's just around the corner. But there's still a couple weeks before Easter. We don't have to wait till Easter. So I want you to think about in this moment right now, like really right now, God, who am I going to come into contact with this week that doesn't know you? We're not going to ask him to open the door. He's already told us to do it. Who am I going to come in contact with that does not know you and help me to be brave 
and to speak about Jesus. We got to get in the game. We can't hide behind our past. We need to bravely face opposition, knowing God is with us. And we have to encourage and go to bat for each other. Let's pray. God, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give us power. God, that we go forth in, uh, in, with power, God, not because of anything that we can do in ourselves, but God, because you have empowered us and given us everything we need to fulfill this mission that you've sent us on. God, I just pray for each person in this room today that we would be faithful with the open doors that you've already given us, that we would be faithful, God, in the midst of opposition, that we would trust, God, that we are in your perfect will, that you go before us and that there is peace and blessing when we follow your lead. Would you help us, Lord? Thank you for listening to this audio from Crossroads Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Crossroads, please visit lincolncrossroads.com.